We're going to be in Luke chapter 5, and let's bow our heads as we pray for the word. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we've had to worship you with songs. Now as we enter into the worship of the word, we ask you to bless this time. Help us to see what you would want us to see and guide and lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 1. And it came to pass, as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. And when he had left speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answered him, saying, Master, we have toiled all night, and we have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, we will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fish, and their nets broke. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were on the other ship, and that they should come and help them. And when they had come, they filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. So Simon Peter saw... Saw it, and when Simon Peter saw it, he, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draught of the fish which were taken. And so was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth you shall, not, you shall catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. This is kind of an interesting story about this. We know from last week, we talked about the fact that Simon has already been called by Jesus to follow him. And at that point, it appears by Luke's evidence that Simon Peter was following him kind of half-heartedly, like most of us do in most of our time. We follow God when it's convenient, don't follow him when it's not convenient, and don't truly give our entire lives over to him so they're out and it's interesting that jesus it says they came to pass the people pressed hard upon him and we talked about last week everywhere jesus goes a crowd gathers and he's on the beach of the sea of gesenaret which is the same as the sea of tiberius which is the same as the sea of galilee so that sea has three different names. So when you're in the New Testament and you're reading through and you see those different names, you're all talking about the Sea of Galilee, uh, that northernmost sea in, in Israel. So he's at that sea. He's up around Capernaum. He's teaching the people. He's on the seashore and the crowd is gathering. And they keep getting closer and closer and making it harder for him to, to speak. And I don't know how many of you have ever had a group of people gather around you for any purposes and it gets very hard They get... They keep closing in on you, and it gets tighter and tighter, and the, and the pack of people is all over. And Jesus is looking for a way, okay, I need to get some space here so I can teach. And he sees two boats. And the fishermen are not in the boats. They're out cleaning their nets. Now, you might think this sounds kind of funny, but the fishermen in that area fished at night. That is when the fish would not see the nets in the, in the water and avoid them, so they would fish at night, and they would make their catch at, catch at night. So they have fished all night. And this is what, this is what uh, Peter is going to tell him when he says, put down your net, uh, nets. He says, Master, we have toiled all night and we have taken nothing. Can you imagine you spend the entire night? You're a fisherman. You're paid for the number of fish you do and you get zero. 
You don't catch a fish all night long. And you're a professional fisherman. You're used to getting something to make your night worthwhile. And this is a big deal. This would be like you going to a job and not getting paid. All right? This is a big deal. Peter, James, John, uh, their father uh, is going to be there because he's part of that, uh, that team of people. They're out there. They're disappointed. They're not in the mood to hear a message from Jesus. And I think about this. How many times do we come to church or we come to a Bible study and we're not in the mood to listen and participate? We're not in the mood to, to worship. We're not in the mood to hear a message. This is where Peter is at this particular time. Now, he has had a disappointing night. He is not happy. He's got to go home. Remember, he's married. He's got to go home and tell his wife there's no fish for the, for, for the meal. There's no fish to go to the market to buy whatever it is that she was planning to buy that day. Uh, this is an economy that you got paid on a daily basis. And if you didn't get paid, you were in trouble. And so he's sitting there with nothing to go to market with. And here's Jesus speaking to the crowd. He's probably only half-heartedly listening, saying, probably grumbling, God, how could you let us work all night long, not get, a, not get a catch, just like we would be doing. God, I just don't understand. Why would you let this happen? How come, how come all of this is happening? So we have this setup going on from this. It's an extremely bad night. The disciples are not really, really there. Jesus is on the beach. He's teaching. And he turns to Simon Peter and says, would you put out, put out just a little bit so I can have some space? So that way the people wouldn't be crowding around him. It also allows him to project his voice and be heard by more so he can be out, out a little ways and be, be able to be heard. And Simon, as one of his disciples, says, sure, I'll take you out. <laughs> and it starts going out and he sits and Jesus sits down and talks to the, to the people. Now we've talked about this in the Jewish synagogue. They do things the opposite way that we do it. In, in our situation, I stand, you sit. In the Jewish synagogue, the teacher sat and you stood. Uh, why? Part of it was reverence of the person coming in. Part of it was reverence for the message being delivered. But that was just the way it was done. And that was all the way through the Greek days. They would, the students stood and the teachers sat. We have changed it over the years uh, to the point now where it's the other way around. So Jesus, sitting in the boat, speaking to the people on the shore, gives them this message and it's quite interesting that we're not told anything about his message. <laughs> because the message isn't about what he taught the people. It's what he's going to teach Peter and, and James and John. And this is kind of an interesting thing. He, he, go, he goes out and he says, launch out into the deep water and put down your nets. Now, Peter apparently is the only one in the boat from the way this reads. And he said... Go out a little further, you know, row, row out a little bit where there's going to be some fish and put down your nets. Now, Peter at this point is thinking, well, what is this crazy man? We don't, you don't fish, you don't fish with nets in the middle of the day. It just doesn't work. Uh, you know, uh, he's, a great, he's a great Bible teacher, but he knows absolutely nothing about fishing. You know, he just created the fish and seas and everything else, but he knows nothing about fishing is Peter's attitude. And he knows that's what he's thinking. Because yeah. how many times have you had somebody tell you to do something when you're the expert? <laughs> you, know, you really should be doing this, and you're going, yeah, I've spent 20 years doing this. I, I don't really need your help 
telling me how to. And you can picture Peter doing this. I uh, really don't need your help, you know, trying to fish. Uh, you know, now he's smart enough not really to say that <laughs> in it. But he does say, you know, hey, we've fished all night. And we haven't caught anything. You know, why would I want to drop my nets now? You know, all the fish in the Sea of Galilee seem to have disappeared. We don't, we don't, I don't want to drop my nets. But he was obedient. I think it's very important that we learn from this that even though Peter's obedience was not a strong, yes, I know I'm expecting a big deal, he was obedient. There will be times when God is going to ask us to do something that makes no sense to us. It made no sense to Peter to put nets in the water during the daytime when the fish would see the nets and not, and not be able to catch anything. You know, and yet, he obeyed. You know, uh, he obeyed and dropped the net into the water to, to, for, for the fish. And very interesting on this, it says... And when this was done, they enclosed a great multitude of fish and their nets started breaking, as we're told in, in, in the other Gospels. I don't know how much fish each, each, his net could hold, but his, he had so many fish in his net that the net itself was starting to break. And I can, can you imagine? Peter's in the boat by himself. He's got a net full of fish. Now, Jesus is there, too, but how many of you have ever tried to pull in something like a net with a lot of stuff in it? I've only done it one time, and it, and it didn't have fish. It just had a bunch of junk. This has got fish in it. Peter is struggling to pull all these fish in. He's had a very bad night of fishing. He was not in the mood to listen to Jesus' message. He was not in the mood to be obedient, and yet he had. And the result was a catch of fish that he could not even handle himself. He immediately started calling to James and John and whoever else was in that, on their team because they had an entire fleet, get over here and help. They, and you note that it said they filled two boats so full that the boats were almost sinking. Now, that's a lot of fish. I don't know how big these boats were, but even, even if you had just a little 16-foot uh, motor boat, that's a lot of fish to fill two of them. And I'm sure these boats were a little bit bigger than that. These are boats that were used to going out on the sea. These were professional uh, fisher, fishing boats. We do know that the Sons of Zebedee, the Zebedee Company, actually uh, produced fish and shipped it all the way to Jerusalem. They were a very large fishing outfit. It wasn't just Peter, James, and John, but it was the, their father. It was many people. They employed a lot of people. This is their job. This is what they do. They had probably never in their life seen a, seen a pole from a net that filled their boats. You know, this is a supernatural catch. And how do we know that? Because, because it says that Peter was astonished. He was amazed, and not only he, but it says, all that saw it. And could you imagine, you're on beach, you know, Jesus has been talking to you, and all of a sudden he pushes out a little deeper, and the next thing you know, there's fish all over these boats. you got a couple of men standing there, and there's fish flopping around in the boat, at the, at the edges of the boat, at the gunwalls of the boat, you've got fish. 
and during the daytime when you're not supposed to be able to catch fish. Now, how many people on the shore knew that? I don't know, but the fishermen all knew that you don't catch fish during the daytime, and if you did, you were lucky to get one or two fish. You, you, know, you, were, you were not going to catch this huge, huge uh, catch. They filled two boats, and you know, Peter's answer on this is very interesting because he came to Jesus, and he bowed down to Jesus, and he said, go away from me, I'm sinful. I'm a sinful man, go away. I hope that you have actually had this experience with God when you've, you've drawn so close to God at some point that it, you really see your sinfulness. Isaiah in chapter 6 begins, In the year of Uzziah, that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and risen up, and his train filled the temple. You know, and the angels cried, Holy, holy, holy. And what was his response? He bowed down and said, I am, I am a sinful man. I don't deserve to be here. God says, Who will go for me? And he says, and, and Isaiah eventually said, Here am I, send me. And he said, But I am a man of, of sinful speech, wicked lips. When we draw close to God, we will start seeing ourselves as sinful because in comparison to him, no matter how good you think you are, no matter how good you might be, compared to God, we are sinful. And this is what we have to begin to recognize. Most humans want to compare ourselves to each other. I am amazed at how many prisoners out at the prison are really good guys. And they'll tell me so. They'll go, well, I'm better than most of the guys I know. And I'm going, I'm real impressed that you're better than most of the other prisoners. How are you compared to God? We do the same thing, though. God, you know, I'm, I'm really a good guy. I'm really a good, good person. I'm better than most of the people around me. And usually what we do is we think of the people that we're better than. How many of us ever, if we're going to do comparisons, think about the people that are better than us? Now, well, God, you know, uh, I'm not quite as good as most of, the, most of those people over there. That's not how we usually think. God wants us to say, more importantly, though, our comparison is not against other human beings. Our comparison is against God himself, who is perfect, who is holy, who is righteous. Now, that is not to bring us into condemnation. God is not condemning us for not being perfect, but he does want us to understand that we are not where we're supposed to be. Now, the good news is, and we've talked about this, when we get saved, God says, you are justified. God declares from the courts of heaven, you are perfect, and he clothes you with the righteousness of Christ, so God does not see us the way we see ourselves. But he does want us to understand that we've got room to grow. Have you ever met somebody who thinks they don't have any, anywhere to grow, and they've reached the top? They're unteachable, they're uninstructable, you can't tell them anything because they are they are the top. They're the top dog. You know, we've all met somebody like that at some time in our life. God wants to show us that we aren't the top dog. We always have something to learn. We always have some improvement to grow. No matter where we are, no matter how far you've come with God, there's room to grow. There's room to improve. And if you don't believe me, just wait. God will show you. 
Now, wherever you think you don't have room to grow, God will help you learn that you have room to grow there. You know, maybe you're the health specimen. You've been, you've been working out every day. You're, you're the healthiest person. You're probably going to get sick. You know, you think you know how to love better than anybody else that you know? God will show you that there's somebody out there that you can't love without him. You know, you think that you're good at giving forgiveness. Oh, well, God will find somebody that will do something to you that will be challenging your forgiveness. Why? Because he wants us to understand there's always room to go forward. God is infinite. He is an infinite in his love. He's infinite in his grace. He's infinite in his forgiveness. He's infinite in mercy and wants us to grow to be like him. Our job is, just as Peter was told, to follow him, wholeheartedly follow God. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to abandon your business as Peter did and James and John did. But how often do you bring God into your life? One of the problems that we have, especially with American Christianity, is that God is there on Sunday morning and maybe no other time that week. And if we're really, really spiritual... We, we come on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, or in this church, Thursday night, <laughs> and Friday morning, and Saturday. Uh, you know, I give them lots of, lots of days, and I might, if I'm really, really spiritual, read my Bible every day and pray every day. But do you bring God up into your conversations with people? Do you talk about God? How important is God in your life? When you meet people, do they know that God is important to you? Do they know how important is he your God 24-7? Or is he just your God during certain periods of the day? And I've seen lots of, especially like business Christian men who are during the 40, 60 hours a week that they're at work, God is not part of their work. Especially if they're a salesman. And you'll hear things like, well, to make a sale, you've got to lie. All salesmen lie. Well, I don't know. Show me that in the Bible where it says lying is okay if you're a salesman. Mine doesn't say that. Now, I actually had an owner telling his salesman to lie to people. And he was a good Christian. I mean, he was a good Christian man. He just separated business from, from God. We can't separate our personal life, our business life, our hobby life, our family life. None of our life can be separated from God. It's important that he is part of everything that we do if he's going to be God and Lord. Now, I know that that's hard to do. Believe me, I know it's hard to do. <laughs> but we have to do that. We have to make and follow his standards in every part of our life. And the more wicked the world gets, the harder it is to make him a priority in our life. You know, we are looking at changes in America that are going to challenge being a Christian. And we need to be prepared for what changes are coming. We have this equity bill that's going through that is going to make it against the law for us to say what God says about sin. Against the law to say what God says about sin. And there are no religious exemptions in that bill the way it stands right now. We need to pray, number one, that it doesn't get passed. And if it does get passed, that they modify it to have the recognition of our, our amendment, First Amendment rights of freedom of religion. But they don't want to have that because Christianity and 
it stands in the way of where they want to go with it with this world and it's not them it's Satan behind it but we have problems coming in right now and we need to be prepared in our hearts for what's happening our country is no longer the safe haven for Christians that it has always been we as individuals need to be ready for the trials that are coming and they are coming and they are coming sooner than we expect and for those of us that are older in this room which is just about everybody we would have never expected anything like this to have ever happened in our country and yet it is right on the cusp of it happening without a miracle from God it will happen that Christianity will be outlawed it'll be slow but it's happening it's coming around the corner we need to be prepared to stand with God and be prepared now, after this great miracle, you would think that Peter and, Peter and James and John, they're going to be ready. They go, all right, we're, we are set for the week. We don't have to go fishing anymore. We're, we are rich men now. Look at this hall we have. We're going to be rich. And, you know, most of us probably would have done that. Thank you, God, for the blessing. Thank you, God, for the blessing. Very interesting that Peter's decision and... James and John, Jesus told to them, fear not, you know, Peter's bowing down to him, he's, he's on his, uh, seeing how sinful he is, he says, fear not, from henceforth you will be fishers of men. Now, I don't know that Peter even understood anything about that. He goes, well, I know what it means to fish for fish, I go out here every day, drop my nets and pull up a bunch of fish and I sell them in the morning, you know, sell them in the morning the next day. What is a fisher of men? I don't think that Jesus explained it to him. He just said, I'm going to change your job. It is very interesting to me that God usually challenges us to change when everything seems to be going good <laughs> in our life. We've got, we're right on the cusp of, of success. We're right on the cusp of right where we want to be. And God says, I want you to do what I do this. I want you to change and do this. How hard is it? You know, it's really easy to follow God when you're in the gutter and he says, okay, I'm going to rescue you and lift you up. Lots and lots of people get saved, that, saved at that time. You know, most people get saved when they're at their lowest ebb. But when God asks us to truly serve him is usually when we think we're headed on the path to success. Peter, James, and John are on the path to success. They've got a full boat. They've got a full boat. They can sell this hall for a fortune. They can buy new nets. They can buy new, new they can outfit their ships. They can, they can buy new, you know, better houses. They have, they have filled their boats. They, they are on the cusp of success. And Jesus says, I want to change your job. You know all about fishing and you got this great big successful catch. Now I want to change what you're doing. I've already called you to follow me. Now, are you really ready to follow me and change your job? And it says in verse 11, and, they, and when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Now, I kind of feel sorry for uh, Mr. Zebedee. I don't know his name because I don't think it's ever told. These are always Zebedee's sons. You know, all of a sudden, his two sons and Peter, who is part of, the, part of this business, they get to shore, they 
put the, put the ships, the boats ashore, and they leave. <laughs> he just lost three workers. <laughs> With the greatest haul that any of them have ever seen in the history of their fishing days. And I don't know how many other servants they had, because we indicate the, the, the history indicates that they had servants. But all of a sudden, three workers, family workers, not just workers, but three family members who are also your workers walk off the job to follow this crazy, crazy teacher that's drawing crowds everywhere. And we don't know what Zebedee's, Mr. Zebedee's attitude toward <laughs> Jesus was. Probably not overly happy that his sons decided to, to abandon him. Maybe he was. We don't know. But all of a sudden, he's out there with a, two boatloads of fish and lost three workers and has to deal with it. Our question for us is, what are we going to do when Jesus calls us? Are we going to obey? We might start with a half-hearted I, obedience like God it makes no sense to drop this net down but I'm going to do it and then he gets that blessing and God says now I want you to do something else are we ready to exercise faith most of the time when God tells us to do something it does not make a whole lot of sense you've got Gideon Gideon has 10,000 men to go against 80,000 men I actually started with 30,000 men and God says well, you have way too many men Ask anybody who's afraid and, and, and fearful to go home and he loses 20,000 men out of his army. And God says, okay, now you've got 10,000 men against the 80,000 men, you still have too many men. Now imagine if you were the commander of this army, you're going, God, uh, your, your logic's just a little bit off here. We're supposed to be getting more men to fight these people, not less. Gets down to 300 men to fight this battle. You're Noah. God says, I want you to build a boat. God, what's a boat? <laughs> uh, I'll give you the directions. He builds a boat. Just a small thing, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, uh, 50 feet high. Just a, just a little boat. In the middle of a desert where there's been no rain. And everybody around him is asking him, uh, Noah, what, what, what are you doing? I'm building a boat like God told me. What's a boat? It's something that floats on water. There's no water here. Well, God's going to send lots of water. Would you have been the person building that boat? If you had been Noah, would you have been have enough faith to go out and build a boat when it made no sense to build a boat? And everybody's laughing at you. Everybody's making fun of you. They think you're insane. It's a good thing they didn't have insane asylums back then. They would have put them in it. Now, how much trouble did he have with his neighbors building this eyesore around them? The world hasn't changed any. You know there were neighbors that were upset about this, this little boat being built in his backyard or in the plain. You know, uh, Noah, you've blocked, you blocked the view of the mountains. You know, uh, what's going on with you? How many of us would have stopped building that boat? How many of us have stopped in something that God has asked us to do and looked back and regretted that we didn't follow through. My challenge for us is as we go forward, we need to be looking for where God's speaking to us and saying, God, I am willing to obey. 
just as Peter, James, and John, because they had been called. We already know that they were called before this. We talked about that last week, how they'd been called. But they had not become committed up until this point. At this point, they're saying, we're done. God, if you can provide fish for us, you called us to serve you. You're going to give us a new job. We're going to follow you. The great news for us is that God will always provide us for what he wants us to do. Even when it doesn't look like it makes any sense. These guys are walking away from a fortune. They're walking away from a fortune to go wandering in the wilderness wherever Jesus goes. Go talk to people. Yeah. No more fishing. How are we going to make a living? God just said, not going to worry about it. We need to be very much aware because so often we start thinking, well, God, if I do such and such, I have to not depend on myself. And the moment you say that, you should hear God saying exactly. <laughs> I do not want you depending on yourself. I want you to depend on me. Elijah when he was put in, hiding in the wilderness and he was fed by ravens. Every morning and evening, God sent ravens with food and water to him. Or food, had the water at the brook. God provided for him. God will meet our needs. Now that doesn't mean we go on and be stupid and do, do nothing, but it does mean that God will provide when, he t when we're following him. He will provide. It is wonderful when you start seeing God meet your needs. You're doing what he asks you to do. If you read any stories about missionaries, they have all these stories where they just had faith in God to provide, and God provided. And if you want to read missionary books, we got a whole bunch of them. I, I like reading biographies and stuff about, about the missionaries. We have a bunch of them that we want to help you get to know it because it's, it's fun to see how God provides, how God takes care of his people. We'll be talking about much more of you. Know, Jesus feeds 5,000 one day with five, we're going to say rolls. They call them loaves, but they were rolls and three fish. And he feeds 5,000 people. God provides. God is the creator. He is the master. He can do what he wants and he can accomplish what he desires. We need to learn to trust him in all that he asks. And what is he asking us to do? I can't tell you. It's, it's between you and God. Because each one of us is going to be very much an individual on what he's going to ask us to do. There have been people in our country that God has said, I want you to be a businessman. I want you to make millions and millions of dollars so that you can give millions and millions of dollars to evangelistic work. And they did a good job doing it. Certain people that you might know, certain famous names you might know, Sears, Penny, can't remember the guy's name, but he founded a Caterpillar company. Well, all those three men gave away 90% of what they made and kept 10% and were millionaires. Now, they didn't start by giving 90% away, but they went eventually and got to 90% of what they had. And they, they would have people come and they go, we have this vision to build something, you know, you know, a hospital here or a school here. And they would just pay for the whole thing. And the next thing you know, those people were able to minister. What has God done? What has God called you to do? What is he calling you to do? Be ready to step out and serve him. Ready to forsake all, you know, if you leave. 
But the good news is we never forsake anything that God doesn't replace. Jesus told the disciples, he'd go, we've taken and we've given up all. He says, nobody who's left mother or father will, 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 will not get them. They'll have more. One of the greatest things about being a Christian, have you ever done any traveling and you, as a Christian and you, no matter where you go, you're with family? It's one of the great things about being a Christian. You can go to any church that's a God-fearing, Bible-preaching church and you're with family. And it'll feel like home. Maybe they sing different songs. Maybe they don't, but they're still teaching the word of God. The love of the Spirit is there, and they will, love, they will give you the love of the Spirit. It is a wonderful thing because we do not lose family by becoming Christians. We gain family. We do not gain, lose security by becoming a Christian. We gain security because it's all in God's hands to take care of. We need to learn to have faith that God will provide. Now, sometimes that provision comes as hard work. Now, Paul was in the one city and he had to make tents while he preached at night. He earned his own living. Now, he worked hard. Other places he just preached and, and they took care of him. What is God calling you to do? Listen, learn to listen to him and be willing to stand forward with him. Because all of our life is not just about becoming a Christian. That's the first step. The first step is recognizing we're a sinner and asking Jesus Christ to come into our heart and save us because of his death, burial, and resurrection. The next part is to make him Lord. God, you said to do this. I'm going to go do it. Now, most of us have a hard time with that step. It is real hard for us to just say, God, you said do, I'm going to do. Because what's our first question with God usually? Same question is with anybody when they tell us to do something. Why? God, why should I do that? Why do you want that done? We need to learn to get rid of the word why with God. Now, why, why to understand something is great, but if God is telling us to do something, we need to say yes. Now, old, old adage is when, when you're told to do something by your boss, you ask, you know, they're told to jump, you go how high? You know, basically, that's really our attitude with God. God says jump, and we go, how high do you want me to jump, God? Not our usual response, but it needs to become our response. So my challenge for us is let's listen to God. Let's ask him, what do you want me to do? And then do it. If we start listening to God, we will probably turn the world upside down just as the disciples did. Twelve men. 11 men plus Paul turned the world, the known world, upside down with Christianity because they were obedient and did whatever God asked them to do. Now, I would be happy if we just turned chloride upside down. You know, after chloride, we can go to Mojave County and then Arizona and Nevada. We'll, we'll, we'll keep moving out, but what if we started being obedient to God? What would happen? if we were truly obedient to do whatever he asks us to do. And we have all kinds of reasons why we can't be obedient. You know, Peter could have said, well, God, if I follow you and get rid of my business, what's my wife going to do? You know, she'll starve if I'm not there taking care of her. Obviously, that was not his attitude at this point. He saw the miracle of God, and he says, I'm, I'm just going to follow. What else is there out there? I'm going to see. One of the great things is the more you see God work, the more excited you get to get to see God work. 
And it's a wonderful thing. God will keep our faith growing as long as we respond. Take the baby steps it takes to obey God. Whatever steps he's asking you to do, start with the baby steps. And then watch your faith grow as, he goes, as it goes forward. Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we ask that if anybody's listening online or anywhere else that doesn't know you, that today they will recognize that they need you and ask you to come into their life and save them. Lord, for those of us that are saved, we ask that you teach us to walk by faith, to step out in faith and to walk in, the, in whatever it is that you have asked us to walk in. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9-8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this. God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431.